Greetings, everyone. Those of you in-house, those of you joining us online today, so glad to have you with us today. I'm down to four weeks, just four times I get to preach to you before Tim Guptill uh, replaces me here. And uh, I have some things on my mind and on my heart that I want to share with you. Three of those weeks, I believe, will be about the church, what I see, what I see in the book, how it compares with who and what we are, and, uh, and I hope you'll be receptive to hear those truths. Uh, not next week, however, it being Father's Day, I would like to speak especially to the dads and granddads and those of you who would play the role of a dad. And it might be an uncle, but in someone's life, I want to speak to you particularly. But these other three weeks, I want to talk about the church, and that's the title of my message this morning, What is the Church About? You know, I have real sympathy for immigrants who come to our country and speak no English. I only have English, but I am certain of this. English must be a tough language to learn with all the idiosyncrasies and colloquialisms and expressions that we have. But one in particular I'm thinking of this morning is the common use in our language of oxymorons. You know what an oxymoron is? That's a, an oxymoron is when you take two words, could be more than two, but usually two words, and you put them together, and when you do that, they contradict each other. Here, some examples would be clearly confused. Uh, plastic silverware. Working vacation. Steel wall. Living dead organized mess. Uh, now, sometimes an oxymoron is woven into a sentence. Catch this sentence. See the oxymoron in it, the contradiction. Of course I can keep secrets. It, it's the people I tell them to that can't keep them. Another, always be sincere even when you don't mean it. An oxymoron woven into the sentence. And this one, the best cure for insomnia is to get a lot of sleep. An oxymoron. The headline in, a, in the Chronicle Herald a few years back uh, contained what I would consider to be an oxymoron. And here's what the headline read. Atheist minister, that's the oxymoron, that's the contradiction at least as I see it. Atheist minister fights talk of ouster. Atheist minister, really. Anyway, the article began with these words. An ordained minister who believes in neither God nor the Bible said Wednesday she is prepared to fight an unprecedented attempt to boot her from the pulpit for her beliefs. Just to give you a bit of an update, update there, two years later, the attempt to remove her, to defrock her, failed, and she remains still a minister, an atheist minister. Well, I don't know about her church, and her church is not really my business. I don't know what that particular church is about. But when I think of the church, when I think of Crosspoint Church, when I think of what the church was designed to be and what it should be in our day, if you take God and the Bible out of that, I don't have a thing to say. My sermon would be over already. I can't think of anything worthwhile to say that's not based on those two great principles of our faith. 
One very basic assumption I think we could all agree with here is uh, the one Billy Graham, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has for over 50 years put on the front of its little booklet, and all of you have seen this in one form or another, called Steps to Peace with God. But if you open the front cover, here's what you read, right out front. God loves you and wants you to experience peace and life, abundant and eternal. We believe that. We just finished a series of sermons based on the Apostles' Creed. If you couldn't quote the Apostles' Creed before we did that sermon series, I think you probably could now, and perhaps all of us know how it begins. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in his only Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So right up front in the creed is those vital and important words, we believe. We believe that God is most fully revealed to us through Jesus Christ. We believe that. We believe Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We're quoting him when we say that. We believe that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. And Jesus himself said those words. If you go to our webpage, you would read this first. This is what Cross Point Church is about, right? Making Jesus famous for the good of the city and the hope of the world. Now, if we truly believe, if we truly believe that, that Jesus is the hope of the world, let that thought frame the answer to our question this morning, which is simply this, what is the church about? And I have three answers for you today that I would have you consider. And here's the first answer. The church, it's more about them out there than it is about us in here. More, in other words, for those of you online, that doesn't include you and those out there. It's saying it's more about those, it's more about those who haven't come to know Jesus Christ yet than it is about thus those of us who already do. That's what I mean when I say it's more about them out there than us in here. During the days preceding the birth of the early church, Jesus was about to leave the planet and he met with his disciples and he spoke his last words to them. If you're speaking your last words and you know your, you know their, your last words, you'd choose your words carefully. And he laid out, he laid out for that early church priority number one. And what was it? Did he say something like, well, now that I'm leaving... You will spend much time studying on and reflecting on and applying everything that I've taught you. Is that what he said? No, that isn't what he said. What he said is, I'm leaving and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, making the point that the church I leave behind will be more about people out there who have yet to believe than those of us in here who do believe. It's more about them than us. Polsters, Barna, and Gallup a few years ago tell us that 92, according to their polling, 92% of Christians believe that the church exists primarily for them. That means 92% of us who claim the name think the church exists primarily for us. But Jesus said, 
He said, I will build my church. And, and why did he say that? So that we can meet together, so that we can hear good sermons, so that we can get fed, uh, so that we can get our needs met. That isn't what he said. Are those things in that list I just said, are they important? They absolutely are. Are they the most important thing? No, they are not. Jesus said, I will build my church. Remember his next words? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, how could the gates of hell prevail against the church? I would say one way when people go there. We are mainly in the business. Come on now. We're mainly in the business here of depopulating hell. To reach lost people. To reach people who don't know Jesus. It's more about them than us. Just a few years back, I was down at Kingswood University and sat through an all-day seminar. And uh, the speaker was Dr. Paul Borden. And he's a church health consultant. And when invited to come into a local church, he would meet with uh, lay people in the pews. He'd meet with the elected leaders. He would meet with the group leaders and uh, staff and so on. And do an assessment over two or three days. And then he would meet with the leaders to tell them five things you're doing right. And five things you're doing wrong. And five things that you need to change. And he, he was telling this. So he said, I was meeting with an unhealthy church in California. Unhealthy. They were declining in population. Popula- in attendance and declining in influence in the community. And after the couple of days of meeting with the folk and assessing what they were doing there, he met with the leaders and he said, well, if 1955, if 1955 ever comes back, you're ready. But if, now you, you understand that, don't you? If it really is, if we really do believe that it's more about them out there than us in here, then we must be willing to change and adapt to reach the culture around us. So what was the article I read to you a moment ago about the atheist minister? Here's what she had to say about the culture shift around us. She said, the idea of a supernatural being, that would be God, on which so much church doctrine is based, that belongs to an outdated worldview. So she said, we have to throw that whole idea out. Oh, my. She's changing the message. I declare to you the message that was declared uh, when the church, on the church's birthday, when the church was formed way back there in Acts chapter 2. The message that was preached there is just as relevant today as it ever was. What needs to change now and then is the methods that we use to get the message out. We must constantly change. 1955 is not coming back. By the way, 2007 isn't either. Now, that t- 2007 is the year that Pastor Tim Guptel came to pastor this church the first time. And those were good years, 07 to 12. I know. I had a, almost a front row seat. I was down the road at Corbett Avenue, just a few minutes down the road. And th- those were the years when Olivet Church... 07 became Crosspoint. That was the year when Olivet, a town, comfortable, friendly church of about 200, changed to Crosspoint and became a, a growing, thriving church of 500 plus. 
a city impact church, city and beyond. So listen to me now. Pastor Tim is coming back, but 2007 isn't. And, and by that, I simply means, it means this. I, I don't know all that Pastor Tim might have in mind to help us adapt to reach more people. I know his heart, and I know he believes this. Don't know what he has in mind. I know his heart, and I know he believes this, that the church is more about them out there than it is us in here. Here's the second truth I want you to hear this morning. It's, it's about, the church is about love, not judgment. Love, not judgment. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, we see a beautiful example of this truth. Jesus was in the temple teaching, and in came the religious leaders, really? The religious leaders dragging a woman who had just been caught in the act of adultery. Teacher, they said. The law of Moses says that we ought to stone her. What do you say? They thought they had him now for sure. They had him trapped. There's no way out of this, they thought. And so Jesus said to them, all right, which of you, which of you is without sin? You may throw the first stone. Remember how the story went? One by one, oldest to youngest, they trickled away and disappeared. And there stood Jesus and the woman in front of him and a waiting crowd all around. And Jesus said to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of these guys condemn you? And she said, no, Lord. And then Jesus said those awesome words, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see it? Jesus was about love, not judgment. He is, and he established the church. So Jesus said, I will build my church. Doesn't it follow that we're to act like Jesus acted? A few years ago, I spent a week at the Bowery Mission in Lower Manhattan, New York City, working there with a missions team with the street people, the homeless, prostitutes, addicts, whatever you name it. And, and the mission owned a van that they used to transport the food from the mission out to the different parks in the city where they would distribute the food. And painted on the van, here's a picture of it, painted on the front of the van these words, Jesus said, you catch them, and I'll clean them. Hear me today. That's, that's the business of the church. Love people, bring the people to Jesus, and let Jesus change them. But before I leave this thought, I do need to, you need to notice here that Jesus didn't leave her like he wa she was. This woman caught in the act, he did address the sin in her life lovingly, Kindly, without condemning her, he did say to her, neither do I condemn you, but go. This lifestyle you're in is destroying you. It's no good for you. It'll ultimately bring you ruin. Go and sin no more. But doesn't that make you wonder, where did people, where did people out there get the idea, people out there with messed up lives, where did they get the idea that they had to clean up their act, clean up their lives before they could come in here to church? If they do think that, they should not have think it. We're about love, not judgment. Come on, we're to carry a towel and basin, not a judge's gavel. We're about loving and serving, not judging. If you haven't read anything by Philip Yancey, you ought to pick some of his books are old, but my, they're excellent books. The one, The Jesus I Never Knew, 
is the title of the book. And in that book, Yancey tells a story from his friend who works with the down and out in inner city in Chicago. And this friend tells, says, a prostitute came to me in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her young daughter. He goes on, she made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could make all night. Said she had to do it to support her drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea, he said, how to, what to say to this woman. And at last, I said to her, if she ever thought of going to church, and I'll never forget the, the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. And she said, church? Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They'd just make me feel worse. Would we? Women like, women like this prostitute. I'm not picking on women. Men, men in desperate straits. When Jesus was here on earth, men and women ran towards Jesus, not away from him. Yancey writes, the worse a person felt about themselves, the more likely they saw Jesus as a refuge. Isn't that a great truth? Has, has the church lost that gift? Evidently, the down and out who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth no longer feel welcome among his followers. What has happened? It's about love. It's about love, not judgment. What's the church about? I have one more answer for you this morning. Here it is. It's more about his presence here than it is our presence here or wherever you gather today. It's more about his being present than our being present. Or to say it another way, church is more about him showing up than it is about us showing up, whether it's church in the building or church in your living room. And if we go back to Acts chapter 2, the actual day that the church was born, 120 believers gathered in one place, Acts 2.4 Two, two says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them. And it filled the house where they were meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see the basic truth of what's happening there? The people, believers gathered and God showed up. It's a pattern all the way through the book of Acts. They gathered God shows up. And the things that happen, incredible things happen. Now, in this scripture that I just read, when God showed up, there, there was all kinds of spectacular phenomenon. I mean, a mighty windstorm and a fire settling on the heads of each of those in the room. They spoke in languages they'd never learned. That must have been something to behold. But hear me. Hear me today. I'm not so interested in spectacular phenomena. I'm really not. I remember some years back I was watching TV and the, and the guy on, the, on TV was a healer. And I, and I saw him extend his hand toward a section of the audience. Uh, and the people all in that row fell like dominoes one after the other. Was that a work of God? Perhaps it was. I don't know. But I'm not so interested in that kind of phenomena. I am interested in God showing up 
and touching and transforming people and people going out different than when they came to the gathering. You know, I probably, this week I tried to figure it out, how many church services I've been in in my lifetime. And I arrived at a figure around 12,000 different church services that I've attended. And for too many, too many of those church services, and a lot of this is on me because too many of them I I came preoccupied and in my own world or disinterested or whatever. But for too many, as far as I was concerned, there was no one there but people. How sad is that? And so while I have your ear, can I ask you during this service this morning, those of you in-house, for those of you watching at home or wherever you're watching, can I ask you, have you had a God moment this morning? Sometime during this service, have you, have you had an encounter yet today with the living God? Have you? During a song? Get a word from this message? Maybe when Ashley was sharing with us her feelings of being unworthy and coming and lifting up the name of Jesus when she felt she was falling far short. Can you identify with that? That's a, that was a God moment for me. Has he touched you, touched you yet today? He is here. A former bishop of Canterbury once made this comment. Everywhere the apostle Paul went, a revival broke out. Everywhere I go, they serve tea. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying something, something's missing. When Paul showed up someplace, God showed up and did something significant. And when I show up, they serve tea. Listen to me today. The church is more about his presence than our presence. And you notice, take you back to Acts chapter 2 again. When the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts chapter 2, it says, When they heard the sound, this is the people in the city and the people out in the streets, when they heard the commotion and what was going on when the Holy Spirit came on those, that group of new believers, when they, heard this, <clears throat> when they heard this sound, they came running to see what it was all about. And I declare this to you. When God shows up, people will come. In one of my recent talks with Pastor Tim Guptill, and we've been communicating, talking personally and FaceTime, whatever, recently. One of my recent talks with him, I was asking about the great surge, I was thinking, attendance back in 2007 and those subsequent years and, and the many new, new converts. And here's what he said to me, as near as I can quote him. He said, it was an awesome thing. We saw people come to Christ. And what struck me about those words he didn't just say we saw people come to church. He said we saw people come to Christ. They had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And they began bringing, he went on to say, they began bringing their extended family, their friends and their neighbors. And whole families were showing up here. And why did they do that? Because they knew 
because Jesus showed up in this place. And he wants to do it here again like never before. The church is about them more than us. It's about love, not judgment. And it's more about his presence when we gather than it is about our gathering here. And you know what? I can't but believe that when we encounter the living God, when we gather here at home or wherever, when we encounter him, have a genuine encounter with him, that drives the other two truths that I've been sharing this morning. And then we, if we encounter Jesus Christ, we'll be like him. We'll be, we'll be about love, not judgment. And if we encounter him, then it will be more about them out there than it will be us in here because we'll have a great compassion and concern about those who do not know him. So it's key that we meet him. I was listening this week and thinking how I might close this sermon. And I was listening to the Gaither Vocal Band sing a song that was written 20 some years ago. And here's the words to it. He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. Amen. He is here. Listen closely. Hear him calling out your name. He is here, you can touch him, and you will never, ever be the same. I asked Ruth to sing that song, and I'm going to come back and pray for you before the end of the service.
you reach towards him this morning? Did he touch you? I think I came to church this morning needing, needing a touch from the Father more than usual. I suppose these past two weeks, both, both in my personal life and professional life, perhaps have been the most difficult two weeks of my life, right up there. Anyway, and I, I feel like the Lord has touched me this morning. Are you, do you come sometimes feeling dry and you just need a touch from his hand? Has he touched you? He is here. And he can touch you, and you will never be the same. Father, oh, how I need your touch. And there are many in this room who identify with what I just said, and those who are with us online today, they're saying the same thing, Father. I need your touch. And you did promise whenever we meet together in your name, there you would be. But Father, how often have I, have I missed that? I've come preoccupied with other things on my mind and missed, missed the very thing that you wanted me in the gathering for. You wanted me in the worship service or wherever I was. You were willing and ready to touch, and you're here today. Touch this people, I pray. To every hungry heart, to every raised hand, to every open heart, I pray, Father, touch this morning reach down and may it be true the the songwriter's words that you'll touch us and we'll go out different and we will never be the same we will go out and we'll be more loving and less judgmental and we'll realize that people are lost and it's more about them out there than it is us in here and father it's about your presence touch us we pray in Jesus' name.